Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Really excited for this week's episode. This is a pretty unique guest and interview, uh, but one that I was very excited to, uh, I guess I was very excited to have on and speak with, and one I think you're really going to enjoy uh, listening to. His name's Cos Marty, and Cos was an entrepreneur, you could say, from the age of 13. Very early on in life, uh, he was motivated to make money for himself and uh, basically be a successful businessman in all aspects of the word. In fact, before the age of 30, uh, he was already making millions uh, with a business that he had started from the ground up and it was quite ahead of its time. Uh, that business being uh, the largest drug delivery service in New York City. Cause was charged as a drug kingpin and sentenced to seven years in prison uh, for running, like I said, the largest drug delivery service in New York City. It was quite literally... Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, before any of those existed. Um, And eventually it came crashing down and he went to prison. And while he was in prison, he made the decision upon getting out as to what he wanted to do with his life after that. And he took all that entrepreneurial talent and all that business knowledge. And once he got out of prison, he started con body, which is a gym and fitness regime. Uh, that's based on prison workouts. He has a gym that's in New York city. That's themed after a prison where he hosts prison style workouts. They host prison style workouts in parks around the city and they also do uh, online virtual sessions. Uh, he's the CEO of the company, and his uh, company is in, entirely staffed by uh, ex-cons that he hires who get out of prison and are l- looking to turn their life around and are struggling to find jobs with their records. Um, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. Um, it's shocking. This, this dude, like, just always had a knack for business. It's it, it's incredible to hear about uh, how he did what he did, and uh, the odd professionalism that he did everything with. Uh, really exciting story. Really motivating. Um, I always like these type of stories. Uh, having worked in the juvenile correction system uh, and seeing how that system can basically turn young criminals into worse criminals to, to, to talk to somebody that is one of the rare uh, positive beacons in that world and to see somebody that has a completely different view set coming from that world is uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really intriguing and really fascinating and I'm, I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing this uh, interview so with, uh, without further ado Here's this week's guest, Cos Marty, 
CEO of Conbody. start recording that way we're set so how is things uh, how are things in new york has it uh, uh settled down at all is it starting uh yeah no it's it's getting back to normal um i mean like the traffic i would say like pre-pandemic compared to now like right now i think we're like 70 percent of the way back to normal oh, that's good for- you know, indoor dining, and I mean, there's no indoor anything. Every and, and the good thing is that you know there's businesses that are continuing to do stuff outside. But once it gets cold, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Did you uh did did you guys have any slowdown with Con Body during all that, or were you able to maintain because you do a lot of the the outside stuff? Yeah. No. We we got to uh, survive pretty quickly and and pivot online. Um, and so we, this has been a blessing for us. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. You, did you find that you, you had people coming out because you were uh, one of the only games in town probably at that time? And Yeah, because a lot of people like shut down their businesses because they're like, hey, how I can't, you know, my, most of my clients work out in a boot camp with a treadmill inside yeah. or heavy weight and uh the beauty of our thing was just that we had no equipment so yep. um it was just all bodyweight workout so for the people that was doing the exact same product inside they got the same exact product at home and we just started doing live stream nice. uh, classes, and we were continuing uh, continuing to do that and now that uh, we're for the last like three months we've been doing outdoor and virtual simultaneously it, it, it's funny because like my workout is is pretty much the exact same style that 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 you teach, but I've I never really made a connection of it being like like prison workout. I always refer to it like when people ask me what I do, I'm like I work out like it's 1945. I uh, <laughs> I do push ups, I do sit ups, I run, uh, I do pull ups. You know, I I do all calisthenics. I don't I don't I don't touch weights anymore. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I think that's that's all you need. Yeah, that's all you need. yeah. For me, it's like as I get older. Well, one, I spent years lifting, um, mm. and eventually just got bored with it. I got yeah. bored of like, well, today's you know, back and buys day, and today's leg day, and doing the same sets and the same you know the reps and just a little weight here, a little less weight there, a little ad, and I just got so bored of it. Yeah. And uh, I actually, it was actually dudes in the New York scene. Like, um, there are some crazy ass calisthenics guys there. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say, is Hannibal King, uh, Bar Stars, those guys? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the Bar yeah. yeah, those guys are in New York. And I just got like obsessed with all these dudes in New York that were doing these insane body weight workouts. And then I just, I shifted to doing stuff like that and just never, never touched a weight ever again. Yeah. Yeah. I hit, I hit the weights every once in a while just to like test where I'm at. I like, you know, I see if I go to like, uh, I'm traveling and I see, and there's a gym in the, 
in a hotel or wherever I'm staying at, you know, I just like go check out the 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 way shack just to see how you know how much I could pick up or lift. Yeah, and yeah, just, just a curiosity <laughs> thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's dive back. I kind of want to get into. I want to start. I want to start with your childhood, and I want to work up to now. Um, yep. So, how what was your childhood like exactly? Uh, growing up, you grew up. Did you grow up in Brooklyn, or what part of uh, New York did you grow up in? So I grew up in the Lower East Side. Um, it's like the Lower East Side part of uh, Manhattan. Oh, it's okay. called. Uh, it's right right across the the Williamsburg Bridge, um, and it was. Uh, it was a pretty bad neighborhood um in the 80s and 90s and and there's still ha- stuff happening today yeah. around um, i'm still back in the neighborhood uh but it's definitely more gentrified you got poodles walking down the block <laughs> yeah 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 art galleries you know it's like that it's it, it's uh williamsburg before williamsburg and then um this was like the first gentrified neighborhood in manhattan and oh, then okay. it started then it started pushing to Williamsburg, and Williamsburg got known as like the yeah the, the place, the, yeah. the hipster neighborhood, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what, like, growing up in that area as, as a as a kid, like, what was your 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 day to day? Like, did you uh, did you did you finish high school? Yeah, I, I graduated from high school. I I, I, <laughs> I went to five different high schools. Most okay. of them. Are- picked out of okay. um, <laughs> uh, but I graduated on time and I was one of the only kids in my neighborhood that that got my got my high school diploma uh, but like school came really easy for me um, my mom was uh, a school teacher back in the Dominican uh-huh. Republic um, not not over here but in the Dominican Republic but when she came here she started working in a in a factory uh sewing like small little dresses for like you know towelers and um she was making like five cents a dress it was like a commission base um uh, but yeah i mean i grew up in a in a neighborhood that i that i still live in and i and i loved and uh, i think the best part of it was like it was just a, a weird i i didn't see anything outside my neighborhood yeah so which is normal and so i grew up in a in a building where my whole family lived on the same floor. Um, you know, half of my family lived on the sixth floor and then the fourth floor and we had the whole fifth floor. And so it was like a lot, it was like 30 kids just running up and down the buildings, going down the block and like, uh, the streets were our playground. Yeah. And, and that's how I grew up. And it was just like, no, no real, um, no real sense of rules. I mean, we did have rules. There was discipline, you know. Yeah. Some if we got caught fighting, you know, our parents like you know whooped our asses. But uh, and and then if we got whooped by my uncle and you go back home and cry, you know, I got whooped by yeah. my mom. So, it was, uh, <laughs> so you know, on yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that was a, it was a very very strong community, but it was a very drug infested community. And, and that's um, one thing that I found really interesting about your story is like, so I spent time working in like the juvenile correction system. Mm-hmm. And one of the stereotypes is like what kind of drives some of these kids to the lifestyle is a bad home life. So they find family on the streets mm-hmm. and yeah. 
based on what I know of your story, you seem to have had a very supportive, strong, like home life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say like my family was a great, no, I don't know. There was, there was a, I don't want to like put their stuff out there, but, um, but it was, uh, it, it, there was drugs everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. There was drugs everywhere. You know, there was drugs on every floor. There was drug, yeah. there was a drug dealer in every floor of my building. Yeah. You know, on, above us, they, you know, there was there was a crack house. You know, there was uh, heroin uh, uh, lines. You know, coming down our block, and I would, as a kid, you know, seeing fifty people lined up, you know, ready to buy uh, bundles of heroin. Yeah. So um, it, I mean, it, it, it was really it's the secondary thing that I remember always seeing. It, it was kind of like a. Uh, a byproduct of your situation, you know. Yeah. It's like you, you, you're surrounded by it. You see it, and uh, was there ever so? Was there an individual that you saw that was maybe kind of like the guy in your neighborhood that, like that kind of that charismatic character that was yep. selling, dealing that you knew was doing bad stuff but he was like just that charismatic dude was there a guy in that neighborhood that kind of lured you to like maybe pursue that lifestyle yeah i mean my my cousin like uh, i had a few cousins that were already you know hanging on the corner selling drugs uh but i i got involved with um with dealing with drugs with one of the guys that was down the block so every every corner uh, had a drug spot. Yeah. And so you sold drugs on one corner, you couldn't sell drugs on the other okay. corner because you owned that corner. Was, was, the, mean, was the, were those rivalries yeah. pretty strong? Was like, was it a dangerous place to be doing that in? Or was it kind of one of those things where as long as you didn't cross territories, you were, you were all right. If you didn't cross territories, you were all right. But then, you know, territories did get crossed. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, and there was thing, you know, shootouts and all yeah. that stuff that comes along with it but um yeah i mean that's that's what i grew up seeing like my cousins were right on my mom's block you know and mm -hmm. um and then i down the block which i was attracted more to because i i was uh away from like you know family and i got to do way more crazier stuff like my older cousins mm -hmm. were to do because i was two blocks down yeah, yeah. I was hanging out with uh two blocks Uba. might as well have been the other side of the world back then <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and and I was hanging out with Junebug. You know, he's the OG, charismatic guy that he was talking about. Okay. So, when how old were you when you kind of got involved in that scene? Did you start off just selling, or were you? Were, did you kind of start off kind of like entry level on the corner, or? No, I was I was hanging out, um, smoking weed with my cousins occasionally and and I, I started smoking at 11 and so like I would go to junior high and all the kids they used to call me Smokey the Bear back then <laughs> not, not a lot of people know that that's a that's another that was an old nickname Smokey <laughs> they, they, they used to come up to me and be like you know everybody brought up a dollar and, and put up a dollar uh, like five dollars together you know it'd be like five of them and I would go down to the block with, you know, my cousin and be like, hey, I want a nickel bag. And I'll go buy a Philly cigar for 25 cents and roll a block for the, you know, my, my peers at school. And, and it became like a supply and demand when yeah. 
that started and then uh I, I went up to my cousin i was like hey i want to i want an ounce of weed and uh at 13 and um and from there it just started you know escalating from there at 14 i started selling coke because i was just standing on a corner one day uh, selling weed and and then uh some random guy came up to me and the coke dealer was not on the block that 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 afternoon and he was like hey you could get me something and and I was like, I, the guy, I was like, the guy's not here. He was like, yo, can you get somebody? Do you know somebody else? So I went down the other block and, I, you know, I, this is when beepers were out. And so I beat my boy. I was like, meet me on this corner. And, you know, he gave me a discount on, on a couple bags of Coke. And I went down the block and made a profit. And so I just sold more money on on the Coke level really quickly. And and then I, I, I was attracted, you know, Junebug was that that dude that was, you know, making money on the block. Yeah. And, um, and he put me on. He saw that I was just like, I was just dedicated. I was there 24 hours a day, you know, um, just doing what I had to do and just making money. And so eventually I, I basically inherited the block. He, he, uh, I would say he retired and moved out of the neighborhood, bought a house in Pennsylvania and, and didn't really never come back, you know. His, his mom still lives there, but, um, but yeah, that was it. That was it. So how how long were you doing the weed thing till you till you moved on to the the, the coke? I was always doing. I kept the weed thing okay. going. Uh, I just added another expanded something. the repertoire. <laughs> expanded the the inventory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how long? So you said that was what, what around 14? Yeah, 14. And then I just kept selling Coke from then. Um, I was selling like dimes and 20 bags of, of Coke. And and then I, I got, I learned how to cook crack when I was um, 15. And and I the, the crack was just like... How do you learn how to cook crack at 15? Did you, like, I assume... Just because of the, the the environment, you just you knew somebody that was cooking crack, and you were like, "No, one of one of the customers, uh, I would like, you know, I would deliver. I would go to a crack house and um, uh, to make a delivery or whatever, and and in there they they was just you know the customers were cooking crack, so oh, shit. Um, you know they I just saw it and and they were like, "Well, you don't want to learn this." They always just say they were like, "You know, maybe you'll." That's how a lot of people get into crack and start doing using it itself. But yeah. I was never, was never attracted to using or, I don't know. I've never felt tempted. Well, you're or, also seeing like the wasteland of what it creates. Exactly, and I was just so attracted by money. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That was my motivation. So I, I learned. You know, they they used to buy little bottles of ginseng, uh, baking soda, and just and coke and a little bit of water. Though. Heated up in the Jensen bottles, and and then uh, and then I just started cooking it in a Pyrex jar, and, um, and from there it was just so not only a self-taught entrepreneur, but a self-taught scientist and chemist. <laughs> um, I guess you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what were you at at fifth at fifteen? What were you like pulling in financially, like? I was making. Sorry, go ahead. 
yeah, no, I, at 15, I was making, I don't know, five, 600 bucks a week. You know, I was not making uh, a lot of crazy money. But that's a shitload uh, of money for a 15 year old in like the nineties. You know, I was, I was, uh, you know, making a hundred dollars a day, um, you know, was a, was a, was better off than making, you know, minimum wage back then was yeah. like three. Three fifty. Shit! At fifteen, I had a paper route, and if I made like a hundred bucks a week, I was doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so at fifteen, how how long did that go for before, uh, let's say you got caught or you? I, I got I got I got caught when I was fifteen. Okay. Uh, and I ran into trouble then. I I spent a year. Uh, but I, I got caught when I was 13 oh, okay. uh, selling weed. Um, then got caught when I was 15. Uh, did a year, came home at 16. Um, you know, going to juvie was just like, like uh, just just hard knock school and, you know, like learning. Yeah, it's uh, not. I, I, did, I became a better drug dealer. Yeah, exactly. Know? That I saw it all the time when I, it, it is not the ideal. Because I worked it. I worked it like a instead of sending kids into that that system, I worked at like a boarding school that they mm. could still compete in like uh, high school sports. They could get their GED. They could get their diploma. They could learn a, like trade. Um, because the juvenile correction system is literally just crime college. Yeah. Yeah, we used to call it uh, gladiator school because yeah, it was just fighting and you know all the kids with egos and it was a it was a crazy uh, I don't know it was probably the hardest time I did yeah you know as as, as adult kid whenever I I went in um, and then I went in again when I was nineteen but uh, as soon as I came out um, I just I just started hustling even harder. And then eventually, uh, it became a crazy multi-million dollar drug business. Uh, I changed the way we sold drugs instead of like staying on the corner and everybody fighting over, you know, a block. I, uh, the neighborhood started getting gentrified in the early 2000s. And, uh, and I used that as a, as an opportunity to even make more money. And I made business cards. I started selling to all these hipsters in in the neighborhood that moved in and, um, and 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 the, and the margins were even higher. Like uh, you know, for a twenty dollar bag of coke that we were selling, you know, to a crackhead, you know, we was, we was making fifty bucks. You know, so and crazy. That the story because you had already when you started kind of like doing the it because it was literally ahead of its time. You were like doing Grubhub for coke. For yeah, the, <laughs> and, and, call it. <laughs> but the the funny thing is, is like. When you started that, would you say like that, that run, the business card, like giving out the samples, the, what was it? Happy endings? Yeah. Happy endings. Would, how, it, it, that was, would you say that was probably the most lucrative that? Yeah. Okay. Def, definitely. And it lasted for a very long time. And um, you already had how many, you had caught how many felonies before that? Uh, two. Two. So you're already running off of. See that that's why I, I find you I find uh, your one, one one felony and then I caught a felony in between. Okay. And I caught a third one and that was my last final. And and that, so was it ever for you 
was it ever like a status thing or like a street cred thing or was it merely business? Um, it was just straight, straight business for me. I, yeah, I, I did have like, I felt the status mm-hmm. when I, when I drove like crazy cars and, you know, and I was driving down like my mom's block and the guys were out there and they were all hanging out and they're like, yo, that's crazy. You got, you know, uh, I had a convertible M3. At one point I had a, I had the, 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 one of the cars from the dub magazine. I don't know if you remember the, the dub magazines. Yeah. With the, yeah. The big rims. I had a 22 inch, uh, you know, gold, uh, spinner rims on a, <laughs> on a Fleetwood 1993 Cadillac with pearl white seats and Damn. and something that was like wearing like uh, a like a pimp. <laughs> it was just it felt like it definitely felt like status and it felt like uh, I don't know. It, it, Real, it, it was just movie was, shit almost. Yeah, we we did it as like joking around but also that yeah we wanted to show off and be like hey we want we want to show off to our peers you know and show off to the to the guys with that was still on the corner mm-hmm. you know we would drive by and be like yo y'all motherfuckers is like still doing the bullshit on the block like you ain't progressing we're making like millions of dollars you know and i remember i remember i would have uh on my like on my cake my uh my casework like i'd have those kids and i'd ask them i was like well, what's what's beyond like the corner level for you and some of them would be like they would see like they would want to grow like they would want to get to that level where they were they were no longer on the corner like they had a group on the corner for them and they were just collecting the money and then i remember kids that it was just all about all about the flex like i'm on this corner so that guy can't be on this corner and if he comes to my corner i'm gonna fuck him up yeah and uh it was funny because I could see like this young entrepreneurial qualities in those kids. And it was just like I was fighting tooth and nail to make them see like, you know, with what you know and your abilities, there are way more opportunities for you than the corner. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like just trying to drive that drive that home is it can be difficult because I get it. Like I remember kids telling me like they're like. I was like, why don't like it's got to be stressful, like always looking over your shoulder because the cops, because you know rival uh, dealers and just like the the neighborhood rivalries. I was like, have you ever thought about just like getting a just getting a job? And they're like, shit. He's like, I can't find a job that pays me half of what I make in like a day on the corner. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's a valid point. I get it. Like I I, yeah. I get the allure of it. Um, but I I I. I been inside juvenile facilities and i tell them like all right you let's say you made a hundred two hundred thousand dollars that year yeah stand corner you know let's uh let's calculate that uh with a job so you let's say you got a job at thirty thousand dollars a year uh and now you're spending you know let's say six seven years in prison behind that situation yeah let, let's do the math. You're making the exact same money. Yeah, that that's valid. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it if you're on the inside. That was the other thing that that also uh, stunned me is like, so I'm in the military. I've been to mm-hmm. Afghanistan a few times. 
and it's just one of the things I do. I, I actually kind of like going overseas. Like it's an adventure. Yeah. And I remember talking to kids that they talk about doing time or they refer to like going to juvie or going to jail or going, uh, whatever incarceration they're facing almost the same kind of like attitude as I see is going to Afghanistan. They just take it as like just something I got to do for a year or something I got to do for two years. It's like no big deal to them. Like, yeah, I had had the same mentality. I had the same mentality. Um, Um, yeah, I I had the same mentality. I was like, all right, you know, I I saw my pros and cons. I'll make money here. First felony, I'm going to do this time, you know, I'll deal with it. And then um, I still got the rest of my life, you know. And so uh, I didn't really think about further, further out in the future. I didn't think uh, really outside the box. And and then I didn't really see anything above, you know, my four corners, you yeah. know, above the neighborhood. Um, and that that was my world. And and once you start, you know, I feel like every every uh, uh, every kid that should have the opportunity to travel and just see and explore and like, you know, re-see any uh, stuff outside their boxes, you know? I think, yeah, I think that's a fair point too, is I think a lot of these kids don't, they don't see a loss of freedom as something so drastic when your globe ex- exists within four, four corners or four blocks. And, and, uh, and, and people use it as a sense of pride too. Yeah. You know? Like it's it's sad, but like these kids will say, you know, I did five years and I'm like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you shouldn't be proud that you yeah. did five, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that that was uh that's that's the reality. It is. It 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 hundred percent is the reality. Um so with happy endings, um you was that after, did you, was that after you, were you, was that after one of your stints in Rikers? Um, no, so right, Rikers Island's just in jail, so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I went to Rikers, you know, it's a holding space. Oh, and then okay, okay. The actual prison, but um, that was before uh, my second, before my second time uh, going into Rikers, uh, so I was. 18, 17, 18, when I developed happy endings. Okay. And, and, um, and for the, uh, for people listening, break down what happy endings was exactly. Yeah. So happy endings was a 24 hour drug delivery service. We went all around the five boroughs to deliver, you know, cocaine, marijuana. Um, we dealt with ecstasy and other type of drugs at that, that time. But, um, we basically had a delivery service where I had a dispatcher, someone picked up the phone, uh, they would uh, use these Nextel walkie talkies and it was like a messenger service. So we had people on bicycles, we had people in cars uh, delivering to all five boroughs and, and then you know around the tri-state area as well. And how many people did you have working for you when you, when you were running Happy Endings? Uh, around 23 at its like, uh prime um we had uh two dispatchers and and then we had like 10 or so like 10 or nine drivers around there at a time with two shifts of 12 hours and we also had people like bagging up um doing that that was not like a full-time job but it was like a week once a week job where 
we'll get the table, you know, uh, break down all the coke, bag it up, and it'll take a long time. So, how did you, how did you get to that level? Like, what was the, the catalyst for happy endings going from like handing out a couple business cards with a little sample on it to this? It was literal it, business. It, it the the phones the the product was a pretty grade A product and and then the phones didn't stop ringing the phones just kept on ringing and it, it was we had seven phones because each phone only held fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred contact numbers so once we packed out a phone with, with contacts we had to get another phone and so I just kept on ringing and the demand was just insane just word of uh, mouth handing out business cards. Word of mouth, handing out business cards, giving us samples, uh, and and being charismatic. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I was, I was my my friend and I. We were dressing up in business suits, going to like these hipster parties and raves and all that stuff, and just hanging out. Like we were like mm-hmm. you know, the oddballs in there, but just like you know, sitting around waiting for the next call and and. Um, it just it just went like wildfire uh, and how it, it, it basically elevated um, and it took a while you know I was I was sitting on the blog selling drugs for a very long time I didn't start you know making millions of dollars right away it was you know nickel and diamond for a very long time and and then uh, when I was like 17 we, we we basically I started giving out like pieces of paper with my number on it and then Joey, uh, that was my my ex partner back then. Yeah. We, him and I, went to like Kinkos and we made business cards and and we made it more professional. And and then um, it just went crazy. Um, uh, and then from from there, we we kept getting like more work, more work. I remember we were like selling out a hundred grams, uh, and we were like buying a hundred grams almost every, every single day. Where we were like. Damn. Yeah, and then we are uh, we were averaging like selling a, a kilo a week. What? Yeah. Oh my! What were you like? How were you? One like on ter- uh, just like aside from just moving that level of product, what were you doing with? Because I'm terming. I assume it was it's all cash in hand transaction. What were you doing with that money? Like, did you have separate, like, I can't imagine you were putting it in a bank. Was it, were you just. We we had, we had very small amount of money in the bank. I mean, like we had like probably five bank accounts each, like Uh, 10,000, a little bit, you know, it was nothing crazy in each bank account, but uh, most of the money was just cash, straight cash. Um, It's putting them, putting them in in shoeboxes. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Rubber band them. That was it. Jeez, that's that's insane. How yeah, long? Yeah, that's making a lot of money. Yeah, man. That's uh. Money. What were you? How were you handling uh, like in terms of moving the product? Where were you getting that? Uh, and I don't like. I like I said. I I I don't want you to divulge like crazy information but like in terms of like getting that product where do you even I, I assume it had to move from you knowing a guy on the block to having to know somebody with that type of supply chain 
Yeah, we were getting stuff uh, first. It became getting stuff on uh, like Washington Heights was just like, and that was the drug center of New York City, mm-hmm. um, which is is known and people have written about it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I have, uh, and it's it's ran by a lot of Dominicans up there. So I had family members up there as well. Um, and, and then uh, we got connected to people overseas. And, okay. and we started getting FedEx packages. And <laughs> God damn. And that's how it went down. Is this pre-9-11? <laughs> No, this was right, right after. Wow. Um, like I'm talking about oh three oh four. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, people. Um, I knew people that was getting on the plane with you know a, a brick of coke. You just know, straight muling. Yeah, straight in their underwears and and just going right. You know, going through metal detectors and that was it. Uh, that really is some fucking. Like yeah, cinematic I mean, I, movie shit, right there. <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I was going. Uh, I was getting on the planes too, and all that stuff. Uh, going from state to state on planes. How did you guys figure this out? Like, for I mean, for kids, like, because I mean, fuck, you were kids. You were seventeen, eighteen. How do you, at that age, in terms of like figuring out logistics? Like, I don't know any fucking eighteen-year-olds that know shit about logistics. But in terms of like the logistics of getting product from X to Y to cutting it and getting it ready for, you know, putting it out on the street to managing your employees, like where the hell did you guys learn like just to be able to manage the logistics of this entire operation? Was it just like trial by fire or were you literally pulling from fucking shit you had seen on TV? No, it was, it was, I think it was just from experience. I don't know. It just came like second nature. Um, Joey was a a little bit older than me. Um, you know, he, uh, he was a little bit of a hothead too, but he was, uh, he's a very, very smart person. Um, yeah. From what I saw in the, the documentary, I watched you guys, he's a, he's a, he's a smart dude. Yeah. But one of the smartest guys I know, but unfortunately he's not using his, his brain's for good. Yeah, so, you know, some people can't shut that thing off, you know, that part of that. I mean, he, he's doing, he's doing good work. He started like a plumbing, plumbing company. And he's, is he, uh, he's out now? Cause he's home. Oh, okay. So that, that documentary was, uh, uh, two years ago. Okay. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's really for you. So yeah, you guys did this. So you just kind of self-taught kind of like trial and error. Yeah. And I, and I gave him, I don't know. I, I think I brought the more professionalism to the side. He brought more of like uh, enforcement. Okay. Um, in terms of like getting getting the 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 guys, you know, that was hustling for us, like structured on time, you know, and like you better do this, you know. Type of deal. Did you guys ever, would you ever think, would you ever have referred to or like looking back now, would you refer to yourselves as like kingpins? Uh, I mean, that's what the judge called me when I got oh, locked shit. up. Um, I never, I never looked at myself as a kingpin. Like, I, that, I don't know. That was just like a, a word that you hear about, but yeah. I, I, I would consider like, El Chapo, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we were, 
we were, I don't know. Maybe on the yeah. city level, you know? I mean, in our, in our city type of level, we were, you know? So how long did Happy Endings run before it kind of came crashing down? So every everything went down um, in 2009 with me. And, and so Joey um, was locked up already for some dumb case that he caught. Um, and he, he, got, he got like, he was like, it's embarrassing, but I'm not, I'm not going to, he got caught with some stupid shit, but he had drugs on him and he got locked up and he copped out and, um, and he, and he was like inside for like a year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, when the whole business shut down. And so I was running everything by myself. And so I, he came out. Uh, so I, when I, when I got locked up, he came out about eight months later and he revived mm-hmm. the farms that got shut down by the feds. So they were still probably watching those phones. Uh, I don't know if they were like still even watching them. Uh, he was just running reckless. And was oh, like, oh shit. So he revived the same phone numbers <sighs> and people calling the numbers and, um, uh, and there was still one phone that they didn't catch that we had a lot of uh, contact information. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like this old school BlackBerry, uh, <laughs> one of the big ones with, with a list of, of names and numbers. And so he uh, started the whole service back again. And I was like, I, I just thought in my head, like, damn, he's going to. Did, did you understand where I'm at now and why? Why are you like. Yeah. I mean, and, and he, you know, he was. We, we kept in contact. I was writing him letters and, and talking over the phone, but, um, you know, it didn't last, you know, he got probably caught like two years after I got caught. And, and then, uh, he was on parole and he had about two more years on parole left. And so they gave him seven years plus the two years that he had left on parole. So he got nine years. Um, so, and, and I got seven years. So. so did you do that full seven? No, no, no I didn't do that. How, how how many did you do before I, you? I, I, I got a I got a, an early release program in four years. Okay, well, four years is still a long time to do. Um, yeah, so total, I did uh, six years. I did one juvie, one adult. So that that last stint you did that four years though was kind of like it was it was I, I I hate to make it sound like a positive thing but it was it was kind of an important four years absolutely i i feel like if it wouldn't i don't know everything's meant to to happen for yeah. a reason and if i would have not if i would have not got caught you know i wouldn't be in the position i'm in that right yeah. now so let, let's explain what what happened and what you went through in that four years in terms of like kind of finding your like letting yourself go and then finding yourself. So, yeah. So I, I, I went in, I was, I was pretty overweight. Um, I had a few health issues. Uh, you know, I went inside and doctors told me that my cholesterol levels were through the roof. And if I didn't eat correctly or start working out that I would probably, I could die of a heart attack. So at age 20, roughly, I was 20, I was 24. Okay. Um, told me that, um, 
but it was like uh, my son was two years old uh, when I went inside, mm-hmm. um, and I was just like, I, I need to come home. You know, I need a, I need. A, I, that was like the hardest pain. I don't know if you got kids, but like, um, yeah, I, that's something that I felt like really deep in my heart that I've never felt before. You know, that that connection. Yeah. With, another human being yep. um, um but yeah i mean like uh i felt like i owed it to him to come home and i didn't want to die in the place and so i uh, they recommended to eat correctly and work out and i didn't eat correctly because they don't give you the best food in prison yeah, I, yeah they just yeah I to, yeah i try to eat what I, I thought was healthier enough to survive but uh i worked out obsessively i, I worked out three hours a day um, I, I started, you know, working out at maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day. And, mm-hmm. You got to take, that's why I tell people that, uh, like, Hey, I want to get in shape. And I was like, well, it, it, it's the hardest hurdle for people to get over is taking baby steps. Like, yeah. you know, it, cause you're not going to see rapid progress taking baby steps, but those baby steps, it, it's like, uh, in the military, we call it, uh, crawl, walk, run. And yep. if you start crawling, you know, you're going to get to running pretty quickly. And that's when you're going to start to see big changes. Exactly. And I, and that's how I started. I was like, uh, I was out in the prison yard. I was running from one pole to the other and then walking to the next pole and then running to the next pole and then walking to the next pole. What kind of space was that in? Like, was it a pretty... The, like... the prison yard is big. The okay. prison yard is uh, you know, depending on like what what section of the prison are you in, um, but I was in a pretty big. It was like a track, the size of a real track. It's like field. a quarter mile loop, kind of. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I uh, progressively worked out um, in my prison cell, doing calisthenics, push ups, dips, um, doing all types of stuff, hanging out like hanging strings off of my, you know. Uh, towels off of my um like bars and and just doing like like the tracks work out chin-ups there and and then and then going back to the yard and sometimes i would like wear uh which is not healthy for you but i would like put like a garbage bag under my clothes and and just sweat like crazy i I built myself where i was running for two hours straight every day ultra running in prison Yep, I was I was doing about a half a marathon every day. Damn. So, uh, in terms, of, so yeah, so how much yard time were you getting? So you're at least getting two hours in the yard then. Yeah, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Okay, so four hours total. So yeah, that definitely gives you a lot of opportunity to get it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was doing it snow, rain, sleet. Yeah. I was the only person in the yard sometimes. Every, um, every day. Every day, every day, every day, like as you saw in the documentary, that that kid Glenn, um, you know, he he's young, much younger than me. He grew up with my my younger brother, but he was actually in the same prison as me. And, oh, okay. And so that that's why his testimony was uh, when I I didn't, I I didn't even remember that he did that testimonial. Like he was walking down, going to programs because um, you had to go. He was trying to get his GED while he was inside. And I remember him going to school and I was just running and he was just witnessing me like just watching uh, the weight melt off. Yeah. And he was just like, yo, of course, like, <laughs> and I'm like on the other side of the fence, you know, in the prison uh, yard gate. Yeah. Uh, and I would just give him the wave. And um, 
and he just saw it. He just saw me, you know, nonstop. And, and he saw that when I came home, he came home a little bit before me, but came home. I just, it didn't, I just continued. So did you, did you kind of like, were there guys that were like, man, who the fuck's old sweaty dude over there always doing laps? Let's see what's up with him. Did you, you, did you have guys that were coming over and like wanting to join you? No, at first it was, uh, at first I was being made fun of. (laughs) People would call me fat Boris Gump. That was a, that was a, (laughs) that was a uh, one that was always like screamed out. So basically like the, uh, the box, uh, solitary confinement units, mm-hmm. um, you get like one hour rack in a cage, but that cage is facing the regular population yard. Oh. And those guys would get that one hour rack and they would watch me running in, in the morning and they would be like, Fat Forrest Gump again. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you, you sell gangsters. Yeah. We wouldn't say that shit in the real population, you know, so I would talk shit back to them and, and just keep moving, man, and just keep moving. Sometimes they would, just, they would, I would just laugh at it because it was just, yeah, like, it was like an hour of You're going back to a box, you know? Yeah, it was, no, but it was an hour of entertainment. Just yeah, like yeah. You, you have honey bun, yo, how's those honey buns treating you out there? <laughs> uh, like, it was just funny. It was, um, but I, I, I just kept my head down and, kept focused uh, and then um uh, i remember one day this guy named bus uh bus was about 320 i can imagine uh, what bus looked like with that name yeah, yeah that's the exactly they used to call him bus because he was the size of a bus and uh big black dude and he and really cool dude he he i used to smoke cigarettes after i used to finish my runs and uh Open up and the bus. lungs, as they say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and so Bus came up to me one day and asked me for half, like a bus down, which is half of your cigarette. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, I want to start running with you. You know, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, let's do it, you know. And and then I started doing the same thing to him as I did to myself, running from one pole, walking the next, running the pole, next, running the pole, next. Which is know, just, when you break it down, it's just interval. Just interval running. Everybody, like, it's the most common form of, like, training yourself to run faster and farther. Yeah. And, and that I didn't even know that, but, you know, I just kept doing it. Yeah. And because I was just out of breath, I took a yeah. break and then kept moving. So. Uh, it was just a continuous uh, thing, and then um, uh, he 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 brought two of his other friends out, and they started running with us. And then it, we just started forming a circle around me or somebody in front in front of the circle, and we would do like burpees and push ups and uh, cherry pickers and all types of mountain climbing, all types of exercises. Um, and we just kept doing it, and it was just like a camaraderie builder. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to start a business behind it, um, but it was now until the end of my incarceration that I ended up in a solitary confinement where I came up with the idea of combating. Oh, okay. So it kind of like that's kind of interesting that like you know the, that dark moment led to the epiphany of of mm-hmm. of combody. So. After you, so it was, it was pretty much like you knew when I get out, I'm going to pursue this. Yep. And uh, yep. what kind of, so 
once you got out and started, did you have, I mean, as a, as, as a person that just got out of, you know, prison with felonies on his record, how difficult was it starting a small business as a young entrepreneur with that background? Did you have many hurdles to face? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I still face hurdles today. Uh, um, you know, nobody believed in me. Nobody, uh, even my family, um, they thought I was, uh, they, they just thought that I was going back into the, the game. Yeah. Um, and, and it just didn't, it, it was, it was hard to convince people. Um, and, and it was, I don't know. It was just, uh, it was frustrating, but it was just like a determination that I had in my mind that I was going to do this no matter what. Yeah. And, um, uh, my first thing was just like, my mom started charging me for rent for sleeping on the couch. Cause I lost everything. Yeah. I lost everything. I lost my, my wife at the time. And, um, you know, I, I got to see my kid every once in a while. Um, and I, I just like, I was like, I need to pay my mom something, you know, she needs help with food and all that stuff. So, uh, I, I started, I tried to get a job. I went left and right. I couldn't find a job. Um, I started doing like housekeeping work off the books under like my uncle's name. <laughs> um, and, and that's how, and that's how I did it. I mean, I did that for a very long time. I, I did a internship for this nonprofit. Um, and I, I was, uh, helping them like organize off office back paperwork stuff. And they didn't know I had any criminal history cause I was there like volunteering Yeah. and I, and I got a job eventually on uh, minimum wage, just like doing like back office stuff. And, um, and, but at the same time I was doing all this stuff and it was, um, it was not until like I got combody or full up and running. It might've took like probably like three years mm -hmm. coming out of the system, doing all that stuff and doing a uh, combody. I would wake up at five in the morning, run classes at five 30 all the way to uh, seven 30 um in the park and then i would go to my regular job okay and then out of the regular job and then i'll go um back to the park and run two more classes so it just kind of started as like uh just kind of like a little gorilla fitness thing like almost like happy endings just word of mouth like hey exactly come work out it, with me exactly and i i did the same thing same tactics i, I made business cards um i brought i started getting postcards on my way to work i was on the subway making announcements <laughs> um, and, and that was it that was it i just didn't stop so why don't you uh explain what con body is now in its in its current form yeah so con body is a is a prison style boot camp uh where we hire people coming out of the prison system to teach fitness classes is all based off my uh, workout technique of all body weight exercises, cardio, strength training, and calisthenic workouts that we did out in the prison yard that you could do in a small constrained space, solely using your body weight. And, um, and that's what I, I do now. I, I have the, the guys and females coming out of the system teach. Uh, I, you know, I give opportunities with video production work now. I give opportunities with as a studio manager, um, they've been incarcerated. My janitorial people have been incarcerated, like everybody, uh, except for my CFO has been in the system. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's it. So 
you're based out of New York. Where yep. if people want to make a trip to New York or they find themselves making that little uh you know, sightseeing tour and they maybe wanna yep. get a workout in where where in New York can they find you guys? Yeah, well you could come visit us at, at our prison. Uh and that that's a sightseeing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love to see. Um so we we're in the Lower East Side, same neighborhood I grew up in, same neighborhood where I'm servicing people now in a in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Uh but I I built like a mini fitness studio in the Lower East Side on, on 121 Lillo Street on the second floor. Uh, right now, since the pandemic hit, we've been doing everything outdoors. Uh, so we've been running stuff in the park on on Grand and Forsyth Street. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're doing now. And you could check us out virtually from anywhere around the country and the world. Uh, we're, we're doing three to four um, Zoom classes every single day. So where where so with the online you with the online courses that you guys were saying you were doing the streaming where can they find that at? Uh, so people can go to combody.com uh, and just check it out. You can sign up right away. Is to do our on demand uh, workouts is fourteen dollars a month, and so if you want to do a live stream, it's twenty dollars a class. Uh, so you can see us live and direct in the park, uh, do the whole forty five workout minute. Uh, workout uh, but if you do the on demand it's a little bit short of a workout so yeah you, the, the perk is in person and and we get to fix your form uh, virtually too nice but, it's, it's cheaper than a gym membership and cheaper than the trainer you would get at the gym and you don't even exactly. have to leave your house exactly that's excellent and that, that's one thing like i'd preach to everybody like you don't have to be lifting and go into the gym and get on machines what you can do with a body with body weight a chair a towel in your backyard or in your it's insane like i mean i take i take uh i take one of those like door frame pull-up bars to work Mm because i work security every hour i do a round so every hour i knock out a set of push-ups a set of pull-ups Right nice. there near my guard desk, and then I do my round. You know, it's it's you don't have to be going to the gym. And for me, like it also helps because I have that I have that goofy ass like OCD guilt to where it's like, well, I didn't go I didn't go work out today. But if I'm exactly. doing it, if I'm doing it while I'm like every every hour knocking out pull ups, knocking out push ups, hey, my stress level just it goes away because now I'm not thinking about like, oh man, I got to try and get to the gym after this. I got to try and run. I got to try and do this. It's like, no, nah, man, yeah. you just did like, you just did like a couple hundred push ups and like a hundred pull ups. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and that's our tagline is just do the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of people, you know, they complain about time. Um, yeah. I don't got time for this. I don't got time for that. Just get it in wherever yeah. you at in you know whatever second and opportunity you have you know the only reason people don't have time is because they're just they're not making time it's just an it's literally like it's just a punk out excuse i tell my friends that all the time i'm like no man you have a hundred percent you a hundred percent have the time you're sitting there watching a show on netflix you can get down on the ground and watch the show from the front leaning rest and do some push-ups or check you know check how many hours you spend on instagram yeah yeah You've been swiping for six hours. Yep. You know? Yep. It's 
shit, lay the phone on the on the floor in front of you and watch it while you do push-ups, sit-ups, burpees, whatever the hell you want to do. But uh and then you're you're also uh on Instagram speaking of that, con body on Instagram. Yeah, con body on Instagram, check us out. You could hit us up there and we could set you up on, you know, doing virtual workouts through there as well. That's um, awesome. So like yeah. I said, I, I'm I'm fascinated with your story. I wish, I wish I would have known about you back when I was working with uh, those young dudes in the system. So I could have had a, I could have had a, uh, a pedestal to be like, see, this is what, you know, what you can turn your street level entrepreneurship into, you know. Send them, send them the video. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, I yeah. trust me. I, I have that. I have that. That. Uh, that that vice interview you did that's that's like hot keyed on my uh, browser bar for that exact reason but hey cause i want to i want to thank you for taking the time to uh to talk to me i, I know you're busy and i i really appreciate you sitting down to uh talk to me today no, i appreciate it it was fun thank you